Welcome. So welcome to Dent Live. Uh, this is our monthly-ish podcast um, where we record a, and broadcast uh, the podcast on Facebook and in front of a, a uh, live studio audience, thus the play on words. For those of you who are uh, here, we have free wine and snacks, which are always welcome. Um, and uh, for those of you who don't know much about Dent, Dent is a community of people who are interested in putting a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs once said. Um, the idea is just, you know, push each other to, to think big, get a better understanding of, of how you can affect really incredible changes in the world. And um, I think core to that belief is that uh, there's no such thing as just having the right genes to do something amazing. Um, you know, the genetics is uh, not the causal part of that. It's like there's stuff you can learn. It's hard work to do significant things. Um, but, you know, it's not that you're born J.K. Rowling or you're not. It's like it's just you can put work in and there are things you can do uh, to, to have better chances at uh, making an impact. And so that's the kind of thing we like to explore. And we do that often. Uh, we have a conference once a year. And this podcast is in some ways like pulling a little bit of that experience out of the conference uh, and spreading it throughout the year and putting it online. And so uh, that's why we do it. So uh, our guest today is Adam Tratt. Um, Adam is the co-founder of Haiku Deck, which is uh, a really interesting piece of software. Um, it is one of the uh, examples that we find today of a piece of software that has had success by taking what something does and doing less of it, um, <laughs> which uh, is a presentation software. And uh, I'll let you tell us a little bit more about, uh, just for starters, a little context on Haiku Deck, be a little more specific than I was, sure. and, and uh, yourself. Uh, of course. Well, first, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm super inspired by what you've done with Dent, and, and specifically by the mission of your organization, which is so much in alignment with what we're about, which is all about helping to inspire people to share their ideas and inspire one another through great storytelling and, and great ideas. And um, Thank you. The story, well, thank you. And so thank you for having me. Um, the story of Haiku Deck is we were actually not working on presentation software at all. We started out in the year 2010, not far from where we're sitting right now, just a few blocks from here. We were... Um, we were part of the very first Techstars Seattle uh, class in, in the year 2010. And our idea back then, you may remember, the, the hottest thing in technology in the year 2010 was Farmville. And there was this new, um, new uh, category of games. These Facebook games were sweeping the nation. And back then, 270 million people, I think, a month were playing Farmville. It's like, yeah. it, it was like I, the, I remember you could not escape it. Yeah. It was inescapable. It was the entire population of the United States minus Ohio <laughs> was playing Farmville. And so our idea was relatively simple. Um, we wanted to take this community of celebrities that was collecting fans and followers on Facebook, and we wanted to license their, uh, th their personalities and then reskin games for Facebook so that we could try to lower the cost to acquire a customer. It was a pretty simple model. And we were going to try and build this platform for celebrity-based Facebook games. And so um, we, we pitched that idea at Demo Day for Techstars, and, and we raised a little bit of money. And we quickly realized that we had grossly overestimated 
Hollywood's interest in working with three merry geeks from Seattle um, on our idea. And we struggled tremendously to get anybody of any celebrity to work with us. And um, Yeah, that is a whole different universe. To- totally different universe, and, and, and we miscalculated completely. But we, got, we actually did get a lucky break. We, we just, so, just so happens that our lawyer... Uh, was the same uh, lawyer. Uh, we shared a lawyer with Sir Mix-a-Lot, the rapper, who happens to be a local celebrity. And he's also a geek. He loves technology, and he wanted to meet us. And, and he was willing to take a chance on us. And, and, and we were able to build a game for him, a Facebook game for him. And it was actually a pretty good game. Um, and we, we, we launched the game, and we got all this great media attention for the game. But it turns out that uh, nobody wanted to play the game. And, um, and, our, and our idea was essentially dead on arrival. And, uh, so was that something that you found out sort of immediately? That when you say dead on arrival, it's like, yeah, that didn't work. And you, you just sort of, it, on like week two, you guys were like, well, we got to pull the plug on this. It wasn't week two. It was, so this was the first big mistake we made is we, we, we did like a proof of concept uh, with, we, we, we built a game called Baby Gaga Jackpot without working with a celebrity. Um, and we launched that game we within it's funny within 28 hours of launching that game, we received our first cease and desist order from from Lady Gaga's lawyers. So we had to pull that game down. But it was just we had just enough success to close our round of financing. We did our round of financing. Then we set out to build the game. Uh, well, we set out to find a celebrity. We built. We got the celebrity. We built the game for Sir Mix a Lot. And three months later, we launched that game, and that was dead on arrival. Within two weeks of launching the game, we knew that it was over. And, um, and in that moment, we went into what, what I like to call the startup death wobble, where we, my co-founders, I, I had two co-founders at the time. One is a very talented illustrator and designer, creative guy, and one is a very talented uh, software developer. And, um, and we, started to, we had to make some very practical business decisions about where we were going to go, how we, we were going to take what we had built and what we had learned and turn it into a business. And when we had to make those tough decisions, our designer decided he didn't want to go in the same direction, and he left. And uh, in that moment, my developer and I had to work on a presentation to bring back to our investors to shore up their confidence, the confidence they'd put in us when they wrote us that first check. And in that moment, we had to make the presentation, the PowerPoint deck, without our designer for the first time. And it was going to look terrible. And so... In that moment, when we were bickering over who was going to have to make the PowerPoint deck, we had this idea for a haiku deck. We thought to ourselves, wouldn't it be incredible if making a PowerPoint presentation was as easy as, uh, as editing a picture is in Instagram? So I, I want to interrupt here, and, and with apologies to the art of storytelling, because what you're telling is the story of noticing which I think is fascinating in, in, in when you're building a startup or you're, or in fact, trying to solve um, any good startup problem. I think Paul Graham is the one who famously says it's non, non-intuitive. Thinking, thinking up startup ideas is a good way, like sitting around and trying to think of them is a good way to come up with plausible-sounding bad ones. Right. Um, and so I, I want to know, is that, is that true, that you're sitting there and you're working the presentation and in that moment, when you're working that for the for your investors, that's when you were noticing yeah. that hey, this is a this is a problem, a pain point. Yeah, I mean, we literally had a discussion, and by we, I mean Kevin, my remaining co-founder, and I had this discussion where we had this epiphany. And by we, it was mostly him. He, you know, we, I I forget the exact 
flow of the conversation, but what we realized in that conversation was, one, we had both worked at Microsoft. We both knew how to use PowerPoint. Two, we were both arguing over who was gonna have to make the deck. And this was not an unfamiliar moment. You know, we had both yeah. been down this path before multiple times where we were in a situation where a deck needed to be made, neither of us wanted to do it. Why is that? And why is this so familiar? Yeah. And, and the truth is, this is familiar territory for everyone. I mean, half a billion people make presentations in the world, and roughly 10 of them like it. Nobody <laughs> likes making presentations. Nobody likes receiving presentations. I mean, with all due respect to, to Dent, the Dent Conference, I'm sure that there are moments in, in even your conference where people, you know, someone says, let me just fire up this PowerPoint deck, and people go, oh, God, right? What's, what's really funny is my, the thing I always say, and some people in the audience are tired of me saying it, is, you know, we don't do, present, we don't do panels at Dent. We do only solo presentations and fireside chats, and the reason is because... Panels are panels are like PowerPoints. Yes, you only can worse. do a good one, but you probably won't. Right, exactly. <laughs> so panels those ten are, people are doing a good right, panel somewhere. Right. But so okay, so I think that noticing things is really interesting and unique because it's something it has. It's by definition, it's something that it, many people see, millions of people see, right. but don't notice, and. Is there anything that, as you reflect on that experience, like was there something that uh, contributed to you noticing it in that moment? Because you said it's a familiar moment. You'd been there before. Why didn't you notice it before? It's okay if you don't have an answer. I'm just, I think it's fascinating for... I don't know why we didn't notice it before, but what I can tell you is this. What we realized when we started peeling back the layers on this uh, onion, what we saw is that you know, when PowerPoint was invented, it came along to replace the overhead projector with transparencies, right? That was 25 years ago. PowerPoint predates the Palm Pilot by seven years. I mean, you're practically too young to even remember that. Oh, I had one. Oh, good, right, you I were seven. <laughs> I had one. <laughs> but my point is that PowerPoint is ancient technology already. It's, it's 25 years old, literally 25 years old. Since the time PowerPoint launched, here's what's happened. Well, the internet has happened, social media has happened, mobile technology has happened. I mean, all these things have happened that completely changed the way we work. Collaboration has happened. And so what we wanted to do was like, try to reinvent this category in the context of all these new technologies with, with cloud technology has happened. Think about PowerPoint. It's one of these apps that we use where it lives in a silo where you like create a file and you save it on your hard drive and nobody knows it exists unless you email it, email the 85 megabyte file, right? So, so we, we wanted to try and do for this category, this segment, what, you know, what has happened in every other segment in software. And so that's what we started to do. And what we realized is that the answer was not adding more stuff onto it, but rather taking stuff away from it. And what we found in the answer was simplification, not, not complication. And so what guides that simplification for you, right? So you're looking at the thing and uh, like, let's draw an equivalence to like, let's say I was gonna simplify Word and make it a thing. It's like, what do I take away? Mm -hmm. Do I take away print? It's like, no, people don't <laughs> use print very often. Should I take right. that away? Like, how do you make the decision? And that is tricky. That is, I mean, that's, that's really been the trickiest thing for us um, because, you know, the, the, the old adage is that, um, People only use 5% of the functionality in, in a typical productivity app, but everyone uses a different 5%. So uh, <clears throat> what, we, what we did is we, we studied the best practices in presentation creation. We, we looked at all these different um, experts from Gar Reynolds and Nancy Duarte, 
uh, Guy Kawasaki. I mean, there, there's a handful of, of presentation greats. And we found patterns, and, and there's a few principles that they all agree on. The first is focus on one idea at a time. And so what we did in Haiku Deck is we made it so that you can only put a few words on each slide. So we literally limit the number of words. The second is use a powerful image. So we built a really powerful image search technology so that as you're typing, we have the image search built into the app and we only bring back images that are right size, right resolution, and that are licensed under the, under the Creative Commons. Um, the third thing is consistent formatting, so we don't let you mismatch fonts. We have no comic sans. Um, and then the last thing is simple charts and graphs. And those are the four principles that we built the pr whole product around, and, and that's what we so did. So how different is it now then from the first, the first version? Uh, it's different. Uh, when we launched, it was iPad only. And, and so in that moment in 2012, the iPad was new, it was really exciting, and that was our leverage point. Um, everyone thought, okay, here's, a, here's a, a whole new way that we're gonna do mobile productivity, and it's called the iPad, and this is gonna change everything. And that was a classic example of one of those brief moments in time when everyone thought the world was gonna end up a certain way, and it was really exciting for a time, and, and it doesn't appear to have come to pass. Um, similarly, like, you know, VR is another example of that, where it was, it was one of these technologies where, for a moment, everyone, all this money was flowing into VR, and everyone thought that was the future, and I'm sure there's a bright Wait, future. Wait, but that moment has been since the 80s. <laughs> I mean, the 80s, it was VR was yeah, the... Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Like, we keep having the... Every six months, there's another something, right? Like, you know, then right. it was blockchain. Uh, who knows what I it's going to be next? That, so, I think you're about to get there, but was that advantageous to you to it, launch with that frame? It was or? advantageous, but what you asked... The, the question was, how has it changed? The way it's changed is we we were mobile first, but then we had to pivot to being not mobile only, yeah. and we launched a web app. And now 95% of our business is actually through our web app. And even though our roots are in mobile, and even though the pe the reason people love Haiku Deck is because the presentations you create in our app render, render really nicely on mobile, um, people actually use the app most in the web, um, in, on desktop. Well, okay, so that's in, so when you produce, I, I, I want to broaden the question maybe to like let's talk about presentations and like how how those habits are changing. I mean, you know, obviously people make presentations for all kinds of reasons in life, um, and it could be pitching investors, it could be just um, for your friends at a party. It could, I mean, for whatever. But how is the? How I'm going to the wrong parties. <laughs> Haven't or you maybe ever you are. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought I'd throw something on the opposite end in there. I don't have an example. But uh, the, uh, I, guess, I guess my question is, like, how does, um, you know, you talked at the beginning of, about, um, you know, PowerPoint's an old tool. It's 25 years old. It's not adapted to the modern way of presentation life, basically. And so, like, what's the modern way of presentation life, and how should we be thinking about that differently um, than say ten years ago. So first of all, I don't want to I don't want to diss PowerPoint too much. It's not that it hasn't adapted. It's that it's burdened with twenty five years of legacy stuff, right? Like PowerPoint is a great piece of software. Props to them, right? The people that work on that product work hard, right? And it, it's a decent, you know, it gets the job done. Yeah. Right? It does everything, right? That's part of the challenge is that it does so much and it's encumbered by a lot, as any legacy piece of software is. Um, 
you know, I think that like the way our world has changed, if you think about visual storytelling in general and the way it's evolved, um, 10 years ago, we weren't all using Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest every day to create visual stories, to tell, to tell what's going on in our life, to tell what's going on in our business, to sell things, to, um, to convince people. And you know, the, there's the line between um, long form content like you would write in a Word document and video content like you would produce um, you know, in, uh, on a video camera and PowerPoint, which is somewhere in between, it's become very blurry. And a presentation, to me, is just a very accessible way to create something in between that's visual storytelling. Well, I mean, it might be an Instagram story. Exactly. Right, or a... Exactly. I mean, they're, they're like, the line is so blurry. If you think about what you make in Snapchat, what you make in Instagram, what you make in, what you make in Facebook, and what you make in PowerPoint, it's like so blurry. Um, so really what we're doing is we're just trying to unlock uh, a person's latent storytelling superpowers. That's what we want to do. We want to make it so that if you've got an idea to share, a story to tell, that it's easy for it to go from in here to out there. Whether it's out there meaning on your wall, out there on literally on the wall, like projected on the wall, or on the screen, your three-inch screen. It used to be, you know, 25 years ago when they came out with PowerPoint, it was like, it was only for projecting on a meeting room wall. That was it. And now we share stories all over the place. Yeah. Um, so I want to switch gears for a minute and talk about your experiences as an entrepreneur. Um, uh, one of the things that um, we chatted about earlier, actually, is... Uh, you know, you started this adventure with co-founders, and I believe today uh, you're the CEO and you're, you're the only co-founder remaining. Remaining. What? What? Last comic standing. Can you give us a little bit of a compare and contrast on that experience? Yeah. You know, like what? What is it like to be in your position now? Yeah. And, you know, what? What are the? Um, and hopefully your co-founders will be understanding. But you know, yeah. like what's better about it? What's worse about it? Sure. What's well, the, you know, the cliche that that you hear a lot, and and I, I don't know if the first time I heard this was in TechStars, but uh, the cliche is like it's it's like being married, right? But I would argue that having co-founders is more than being married because you you end up spending more time with your co-founders than you do with your spouse, right? You're you're with them all the time, and. Um, and so when I entered into my, my partnership with my co-founders, um, I thought I was doing it thoughtfully. I thought that I was entering into it really knowing, knowing what I was getting myself into. And initially, I, I was mistaken, right? I, I, did, I, did not, I did not treat it with the gravity that I would have with a, with a marriage. So initially, when there were three of us, it did not work out. Um, you know, when, 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 our, uh, when our designer left us when the wheel when we went into the startup death wobble you know that was not a pleasant time for for us as co-founders um and you know i think we're we're over it now but it, it was not a like it just wasn't fun right because because um there was a lot of uncertainty uh there was a lot of a lot of discomfort and uh, agony right because you're kind of breaking up um then uh, we emerged from the uncertainty of that social games project 
into Haiku Deck, and uh, my remaining co-founder and I, uh, Kevin, we were we rode high, and it was fantastic. Uh, we, we got along great. We had a really cooperative, excellent um, experience, and and I really appreciate Kevin not only because he's an excellent technologist, but and a creative guy, but also supportive, and and I, I relied on him as a confidant. Um, but it, you know, as as all good things come to an end, right? And and after many years, I mean, it was like seven years, and it was time for Kevin to try something new, and that's what he wanted to do. So uh, I was sad to sad sad to say goodbye. He decided he wanted to move on, and and when he did, um, uh, that's you know great. I'm supportive of him in in that in that move. Um, do you, do you think that would have worked well uh, for you earlier on in the process? I mean, you know, I, hard to say. I, I probably not. Because I, mean, I, I, I think I can of say, co-founders is also right. like an emotional companion, it is. right, for a journey. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think what I've had to do is, um, you know, I have other, I have other support supports in place, like my board and mentors that I rely on for for the kind of support that I, that I also would get from from my co-founder. Um, but I do miss having the day-to-day operational support in place. So I would say um, if I were gonna if I were gonna do another startup, I, I or if I, even if I was gonna invest in another startup, I I think I would I would lean strongly towards a startup that has co-founders because I think it's so important. It's I so mean, that is that is sort of, that's the tech stars, the Y Combinator, you know, yeah. a lot of these places that do that kind of incubation are yeah. pretty insistent yeah. on you got to have a co-founder. I, I'm, I'm a believer in that approach. Um, it's really hard. It's lonely, right? It's lonely even when you do have a co-founder. So. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that we... Um, uh, and I, I'll preface this with, it's okay if you don't have an answer, but one of the things that we like to, to think about a lot at Dent is this idea that there are moments in conversations that um, you know, affect the trajectory of people's lives, affect what they do. And like, obviously we've heard so far a little bit about, you know, this, you, know you applied to Techstars. You, know, you, you thought this was, uh, you, know, you had an idea, you had a team, you had excitement around doing something startup-y, and so you were there. Uh, I don't know how you got to that point in your life. I don't know if there's a, a moment or a conversation or something that drove you that you think changed your trajectory either before or after that? Um, if there is something that comes to mind, do you want to share what that might be? You know, I think one of the, one of the ones that comes to mind for me is when we were late in the game, it's after, the, after okay. we started Haiku Deck, um, we got to this point where we had grown the company and, um, and gotten it to the point where we had millions of registered users, but hadn't yet turned on the revenue spigot. And, and we basically were running out of money and, uh, and running out of investor goodwill. And, um, and, we get, and we got to this point where our investors made it clear, okay, we're, we're done writing checks and you need to shut down the company. Mm-hmm. And our position was, you know what, we're just weeks away from having a revenue stream we don't want to shut down the company. We want to, we want to finish this experiment. And, and, uh, and their position was, well, we're not willing to take that risk, so you've got to shut down the company. And, um, and in that moment, 
I said, well, I'm, I'm willing to take the risk and, and, and basically wrote a term sheet and, and, and went from being a high-flying VC-backed startup in one moment to being a bootstrapped, uh, bootstrapped small business. Um, and that was, that was a pivotal moment for us as a company. And for the past few years, that's what we've been tr- trying to do is drive, drive to profitability and, and run, run Haiku Deck like a small business and make it work. How, like looking back on that, first of all, I, one thing that I think people don't think about a lot is the association between risk and um, out, possible outcomes, right? I mean, there's, and what I mean by that is, uh, you know, basically everyone who you see who has any significant amount of, uh, you know, financial success has taken a risk somewhere along the way, whether you see it or not. And I think people are prone to not see it, right? You look back at the story and you go, well, that was a given. They didn't take a risk. Um, but that's a risk. And, like, how, how did you feel at the time? Like, what did you think your odds were? I mean, obviously, you thought they were pretty good. Yeah. But pretty good might, for some people, you know, 25% is, right. is good enough to make the bet. Like, where did you fall? I don't know. I don't I'm not good with with probabilities, right? Like, I, sure. I, I think I felt like uh, I mean, check in with me in a few years on that one. <laughs> well, no, it's that's out binary, right? <laughs> right. But I, I guess the point is is that I, the risks to me were uh, not only a financial risk and an opportunity cost risk, but also the risk that like I'm I'm going to have egg on my face when this is all over professionally. You know, because all the smart people in the room, these these institutional investors, were saying, you know, you you really should walk away here. I mean, literally, all three of my biggest investors were like, you need to shut this down. Yeah. And I and I was the only one. I I was the only one at the company, and I was the only one. Uh, well, oh, I, wow. I, you know, who, who was like, let's no, we're I'm going to write a check. Yeah. And um and so. It was uh, it. It was not a comfortable position, and it remains an uncomfortable position. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But um, but when you believe in something and you work really hard to make, you know, when you, I, I I don't know. I believe in the vision that we that we've that we've been pursuing all these years, and and I want it to work. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we'll I, get I it. I think I think sheer will goes a long way. <laughs> I think you can do a lot with just willpower. I agree. Um, I agree. So th- that raises another interesting point. You know. It, the um, the idea of sort of not following the script, right? There's certainly a script in the world of startups, yep. um, and and there's a almost like a class distinction. I think in a lot of conversations between, oh, okay, that's a lifestyle business, or that's you know, it's your yep. you know, you're you're not really trying if you're not doing you know, seed rounds, a round, VC backed, yes, you know, go for two billion dollars. Um, and uh, so, like, are you, I guess there's a, there's a, a litany of questions uh, embedded in there. Um, maybe the first one is, like, are you, and a hmm, dangerous one, like, are you aiming for a $2 billion company with a public company and a big exit, or are you looking no. for a profitable? No, I, like, I mean, my goal, my goal was to build a profitable company. Um, and I got there. I'm there. Now I'd like to build a more valuable, profitable company. But I, I think 
I don't think every business has to be a $2 billion business for it to be successful, right? That, that, that's, right. There's that's, clearly a big gap between yeah. a $2 billion public company and, yeah. and, and, and a failure. Exactly. And, and uh, I, am, I, I respect the fact that venture capitalists didn't see in, in the opportunity we presented. After a while, they, they were like, look, we've got to move on. That's fine, right? That doesn't mean that that there wasn't a good opportunity right there, and um, and so and I set out to prove that there is, and uh, and ho- and I mean, do you think there's a model then for for filling like what's in the what's in the middle? Like, how do you do that? I mean, obviously there's bootstrapping, but is right. there another? Is there a way to do this so that? Uh, I think yeah. I mean, there's bootstrapping. There's crowdfunding. Uh, that's another one. Another that's really true. exciting and that's, one. That's that's actually very. That was not. Kickstarter was post Haiku Deck, is that right, or is it concurrent? Uh, it was pre. It was pre. So one of the things we did right when all of this was happening is we did our own Kickstarter. You know, we were like trying to bridge the gap, and we didn't want to raise more money, so we pre-sold subscriptions to a product that didn't exist, and we sold about sixty thousand dollars worth of subscriptions. Um, it's a good indicator. Yeah, it was. And we, frankly, I thought that that was going to be enough to convince our investors to write another check, and they weren't impressed. And I was like, well, I'm impressed, <laughs> and so I'll write a check. And uh, So the strategy succeeded yeah. in, in of a way. Different investor. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I think now is probably a good time to, to pause, and, and somewhere in the middle of the show, what we do is um, – actually, we're past the middle of the show – but we, we take a break, and one thing I do is I say thanks to uh, a couple of partners that we have. Um, one of our uh, partners is a company called Woolen Prince, which is focused on building, or not building, making uh, really great, durable, uh, common-sense clothing. Um, I'm actually uh, wearing a Woolen Prince shirt. One of the reasons I love that they're sponsoring is because I'm a customer and a very happy one. Um, it makes for great travel clothing. Um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan. And if you're interested, uh, it's, um, I highly recommend the clothing. And if you go to dentthefuture.com slash wool, um, it'll take you to their, uh, store. You can check things out. And if you put the, the code dent in, um, I think you get 10% off uh, your first purchase. Um, we're also in this, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's it's nice. wool, believe it or not. It's not like grandma's yeah. knit, no, you know, nice. um, and it like it doesn't really get wrinkly. The um, <laughs> the uh, this space that we're in, this you know beautiful building, um, is a uh, a, a, a new uh, social space in South Lake Union called the Collective. Um, we hosted the first Dent Live podcast here. In fact, before they were open, um, and one of the things that they have is they have a climbing wall because why not if you're going to build a big space. And we like at Dent to take people a little bit outside of their comfort zone to do things that are physically active. And so we've asked each of our guests, uh, as they've come on the show, to go over and do a route on the climbing wall. And then we take those uh, climbs and we show them on the podcast and we reveal your climb time, how long it took you to do the climb. Nailed it. And rank you. So this is the first guest who did it only one time. Only one time. Everybody else has tried like multiple times. So we'll see how you do on your, on on the on the leaderboard. The problem is they changed the routes. Uh, they changed the routes, so we had to reset the leaderboard. I'm a champion, but uh, I think we're ready to take a look and see how Adam did on the climbing wall. 
And here you go. So you start with uh, with two hands on the on the starting uh, hold, oh, and that. that's a big step look right at that there. Agility. You're moving right up. Oh yeah. And uh, and you get up. I think it's just another. Uh, yep. And that hold hold with the blue tape up there is the top of the route. And there it is. That's your. That was a solid climb. There you go. You went right up like a monkey. Uh. So uh, our last guest was um, Anargia, who's uh, now she just got promoted to partner, by the way, at, at Maveron, speaking oh, yeah. of VCs. And uh, let's find out where where Adam fit on the leaderboard here. Oh, you it's were all right. I'm, you I'm, were three point. I am I am a fat old man. I can't do that math. Three point so nine. I'm okay with that. Second slower. That's all, right. all right. That's a good showing. It's not a race. She did it more than once. Well. That's right. She had practice. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Um, thank you. That was a good climb. Um, uh, so I have uh, just one or two more um, thoughts and questions to kind of uh, close out here. And then if we have questions from the audience or from online, um, we can uh, throw those into the mix. One sure. of the cool things about doing it uh, broadcast on Facebook is everybody who's watching online also gets a chance um, to pester us with questions. Excellent. Um, so I think, you know, we covered uh, earlier, you talked about uh, this sort of a philosophy of presentation. Um, do you want to do a quick outline of what in, in your mind and in the mind of Haiku Deck is like, um, what are those principles? Yes. And what should, like, if we're going to talk about, the, hey, I've got this world-changing idea. Yeah. So the number one th mistake people make is they forget the the way the brain is wired is when you when you're speaking your audience can either listen to the words coming out of your mouth or they can read the words that you show them on the screen but it is physically impossible for a person to read and listen at the same time try it sometime it's impossible and so you have to make a choice. You have to make a conscious decision as a speaker. Am I going to have the person focus on the words on the screen or the voice coming out of my face hole? And so I recommend that you put as few words as possible on the screen and practice the words that are coming out of your face hole. That is the thing, okay? That is the most important thing you can do as a speaker. And so you have to crystallize your idea Use a powerful image on the screen and, and use, really think, be thoughtful about what is the word or words, the few words that you're going to put behind you that will hammer home and, and, and associate the idea that you're sharing so that it, it, it forms a memory in the listener's mind. That is the thing. Really... Everything else, Everything else is, is, is window dressing, right? Like, yeah, it's good to have consistent formatting. It's good to use, you know, fonts that match. It's good to have, you know, a pretty color palette. And those are all things that our technology helps with a little bit. But the reality is the, the real problem is that people, the, the, the average um, conference speaker will put all of their words on a slide and they'll stand up there and they'll read off the slide one bullet at a time. And it's excruciating for everybody yeah. involved. It's the, the the story comes from the person, and if you've built a presentation, right. which you would like, but maybe you don't have to, yeah. um, that's the that's the supporting material. Yeah, exactly. And that that's the that's it's the orientation. Scenery. It's yeah. scenery, and yeah, absolutely. So then, uh, my last question is: um, obviously, you track you know you, uh, metrics, and you're looking at how people are using your software, um, is there anything that 
you've noticed over the you know years of user data that you have any interesting or surprising like uses or trends or things in that data that you're like oh I wouldn't have expected that but yeah that's I mean, uh, mm, less trends than use cases right okay. there's a surprising yeah. uh, number of people that are using our technology um, for social media so for oh interesting yeah okay so you know I, I think it's shown that that uh, tweets that have images are 40% more engaging than tweets without images and so uh, people are creating these little vessels storytelling vessels and tweeting them out um, in the same way that they tweet videos or pictures yeah um, so that's one thing uh, we see a lot of people using haiku deck for um, uh, for coaching so we have a lot of coaches that use it a lot of realtors that use it so some interesting uh, sales professionals will use it especially those who trade in visuals so realtors are a great example right. yeah here's um, the here are the properties yeah exactly yeah. cool yeah. all right so we have a question from the internet. I'll pass the mic if I can. Um, I'm just curious, since there seems to be some parallels between uh, the, the mobile game that you were developing before and then Haiku Deck now in sort of terms of where you got in terms of investing and, and the feedback that you got from them. And I'm just curious, sort of what prompted you to sort of go all in on, on Haiku Deck for, versus the mobile game was it purely metrics driven or was there just sort of a gut feeling you know on the it was back conviction <clears throat> it was conviction it was that we we initially were really excited about the celebrity based facebook games uh it didn't work we you know the the, the data showed that it wasn't going to work um even when companies that were much bigger and better financed than we were, were like zynga uh even when they tried celebrity-based Facebook games, they couldn't get it to work um, as well, you know, as well as they wanted. So that's why, even to this day, you, you don't see like you know celebrity-based a lot of celebrity-based. There's a there's a few. I, uh, Kim Kardashian had a mobile game that worked really well. Um, but anyway, where I was where I was going with this is that um, really when it came down to it, uh, I would call. Um, Haiku Deck was a bit of a Hail Mary for us. We had one last try. We went back to our investors and we were like, look, uh, we can keep going down the celebrity-based Facebook game path. We can give you what's left of your money back. And, or we could try this door number three, Haiku Deck. And honestly, in that meeting, we wanted them to just take their money back. Like, we were pretty cooked at that point. And they were like, well, we kind of like that idea. Have you talked to customers about it? We're like, yeah, they really like it. We're like, well, what do you think? Yeah, we really like it too. We want to solve that problem. How badly do you want to solve that problem? And when, you know, the answer was a lot, right? Because if we can if we can make PowerPoint less dreadful for half a billion people, then that's I'd like I would like to go down in history as having worked on that problem. That's a dent. That's a dent. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. So, uh, one more? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Um, we also have a question from Raymond Moser who asked, uh, how do you balance the presentation of no words in the slides against those that want a presentation that they can pass to others expecting it to be self-explanatory or to those that don't attend the presentation? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and so, you know, some, some experts uh, would distinguish between the slides you present at an event and something they call a slide you mint. 
which is like a hybrid between a document <laughs> and a slide. Um, we, I mean, this is sort of is getting a little bit nuanced, a little bit technical, but we have a notes field. You can type out long form all the detail that you want in your handout in the notes field without putting it up on the slide for everyone to read. So what I would say is you can include that detail in the handout without making people look at it while you're talking. Don't make people look at it while you're talking unless you want them to read it instead of listen to you. Or maybe just make two. Yeah. Make a slidegement and a, what was it, a slide? Uh, make a slidegement and a document. And a presentation. Yeah, presentation, yeah. right. Um, yeah, that is, I mean, because that's, that's a total use case. For right. PowerPoint, especially. Yeah. You know, here's a document right. that I can pass around that's self-explanatory. Exactly. That's SlideShare. That's their whole, isn't it? Do you yeah. guys have a bunch of stuff on SlideShare? Do people put Haiku decks on SlideShare? Well, we had a deal with SlideShare for a long time uh, where we were the exclusive editor for SlideShare. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they called us up one day and they said, hey, Haiku deck, we noticed that the most, uh, the most engaging content on our site happens to have been created with Haiku deck. And, and so for years, we were the only, like, if you went to slide, slide, slide share, share, you click the button that said create a deck, it would pop up Haiku deck. That's cool. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> All right. Well, so one final um, note is we do have one additional partner on uh, the podcast. And uh, do you want to do the, uh, the outro? Thank you. Bootstrapper Studios has not only done an excellent job today and with every Dent podcast, but they have made outstanding uh, commercial videos for Haiku Deck. They've been a partner of ours from the very beginning. We are thankful for all of the work that they do. They are one of the best uh, video folks, uh, produ production folks in uh, in the Puget Sound area. Yep. So, so Strapper Studios for all your video production needs. <laughs> you know they're going to loop that and put it on your on their site now, right? I'd be happy for them <laughs> to do that. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you for turning out uh, on Facebook. Um, we'll be back next month, I believe, uh, September 18th. Um, our next guest is going to be Melody Berenger, who is a fascinating uh, woman, and uh, we're going to have to ask her about her uh, strawberry shortcake stand, among other things. So hopefully we'll see you next month. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>